Welcome to Filled to Flourish with Luke and Lauren. Where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. We just want to welcome you back for part two of our two-part series with Mary Rosenberger. Uh, if you haven't checked out or heard our previous episode, we encourage you to check that one out before you hear this, listen to this one. And we just encourage you also to check out her blog, weartheoutsiders.com. Uh, you can get more information about her. And if you want to contact her, you can contact her through her blog. So we are going to um, jump into this episode and pick up with Mary as she's sharing her story. So here's another quote from Mary. Uh, Looking back now, I can see how that totally made sense because I saw something in him that was so attractive that I didn't have. And that was being totally free from the fear of what others think. Since I lived my entire existence always being paranoid, embarrassed, and insecure, I became really interested in this guy who seemed to never be insecure. I was conditioned to feel like anything bad that happened to me was a result of my sin, but I knew that loving this man was not a sin. Who was this man? Who is this mystery man? Do tell us more. (laughs) Okay, so the story rewinds a little bit that I met Mike Rosenberger is his name, and he came into the program in the year 2000. Um, he was 17 and I was 13 and he came, he came in from a a pretty crazy past, um, drug addiction came from jail to there. He was court ordered and he, it was either prison or this ministry for Mm -hmm. him. So, you know, obviously we could not be more different in our backgrounds and whatever. Um, he was raised by like spiritual parent like he had knowledge he was kind of raised in church and and everything but very different and so he came into the program and he was put into my singing group after he had been there for maybe six months or so I think he got put into and he rose up through the ranks pretty you know he's a good guy and he came he surrendered his life to Christ and did pretty well just in terms of the program and being given responsibility and whatever. So he was put into my group um, when I was almost 14, I think. And I had never talked to him or anything before that. I actually thought his name was Matt all along. And <laughs> I was just like, hey, and he was like, I'm not Matt. Um, so those singing groups were kind of like an oasis in the middle of all that because you did have like mixed gendered. And it was, it was like a privilege to be given interaction with the opposite sex. So he, I just actually had a crush on another guy in my group when he came into the group. Cause I was always having crushes on, you know, guys that I traveled with. Cause they were like literally the only guys I ever knew or talked to. Um, and I was like prime for the picking with like, you know little Mary again so like virginal and pure (laughs) always doing the right thing and so (laughs) I never really wanted to get involved with the program guys but it was like the only option I had so so he got into my group and we started touring together and that quote that you read the story I don't know if I wrote the story you did (laughs) I'll have to tell it because it's part of it 
but I, I really think it's the first thing I can ever remember him saying to me, like actually talking to me was on, we were on the road and we were in some church and we were in like the foyer where we would always wait and like shake people's hands after they're coming out of the service. And he just like walked over and was like, you might want to move because I farted and it stinks. And I was <laughs> like, I just was like, oh my gosh, like I fell in like with him because yeah. I just thought, wow, I love that he's not insecure. Like I would never fart in front of anybody. It's like my worst nightmare. Anybody's going to smell that because I'm perfect. And so like, he was just kind of like, hey, you might want to move. And I was just like, wow, I really like you. And, and it was that, it was just this sense that he didn't care what people thought about him. And he was just going to be himself. And he's always been like that. And he does not judge anybody. And like, for me, even now, my, my judgmentalness is a thing that I'm constantly trying to work on yeah. just, you know, the natural way of me just casting judgment on everybody all the time. And he never does that. And so I think I just was drawn to him like a moth to the flame. Turns out <laughs> he was drawn to me too. Um, and so nice when that works out that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we toured for oh, probably seven or eight years together and, and grew up together. Really. Wow. I grew up with him, you know, I was 14, 15, 16, 17. Um, in those three years we toured all the time. Um, we would be on, you know, five to seven day trips in a, in a passenger van with all these other people. And, you know, just sort of ended up that he would always sit right behind me. And then we kind of had these spots in the van that nobody would dare take from us. <laughs> And so, and, you know, we just, we fell in love, but we didn't even like, we were just such good friends. And I, and this, this man, this guy is my anchor, like, mm. as far as human beings go, like, oh my gosh, I am so thankful for him. And I see the purpose that he had, you know, everything we were just talking about those dark, dark years, he knew me during all of that. Mm. And he never judged me. Like there it is again, that he you know, he knew me as a close friend, but he, he just was, he's a steady Eddie. And I always tell, I, he's steadfast. He's my, he's that person for me. And so we just were such good friends and we were doing this heavy stuff, you know, we're going out on the road and I would, I heard him share his personal story more times than I can count. And we toured together and, and, and everybody didn't want us to date ever because, you couldn't date people within your singing group. So if two people fell in love within a singing group, it was almost like, no, don't let that happen because then one of you is going to get removed out of the group. And we all knew that it would be him because I was the lead singer of the group. But he was also like, it's kind of gross to say it, but like the dirtier the past, the more used that person was. So because of his crazy story, it was almost like, it's so gross to say it, but it was, it's almost like he had the best testimony and I had the best voice in the group. So, so even, you know, my sister was the leader of, was the director of this group. And so she fought tooth and nail for us not to date because, you know, for practical reasons, I don't want to lose either of you from this group. So we went on for years with this complicated friendship where mm -hmm. we were in love with each other, but we just didn't try to like not make it a thing. And... And I, it, you know, his, his story is so different than mine. 
And I just fell in love with his heart for God. And I remember falling in, really falling in love when I saw him praying on his knees this one time. I think that was like the big thing for me. And obviously that would make sense because of the environment that I was raised in, that it was like, I need to fall in love with a, a man of God. Like I need to fall in love, you know? So I, I went, I think I went to his hotel room to borrow an iron or something on a trip and his roommate opened the door and I just saw him on his knees praying by the bed. And I just was like, that's my guy. Like that, <laughs> that just sealed the deal. And, um, and yeah, so he, we, let's see, the dating happened when we were 17 and 21, I think for some, yeah, for some reason, 16 and 20, everybody was like, no, that's crazy. And then when I was 17 and he was 21, it was like, okay, the age difference isn't that wild anymore. And it just, it was like a train that you couldn't stop. And I think everybody finally realized we have to let these two date, like we have to, we have to. And so mm, within the ministry, you couldn't ask to date anybody uh, without permission from the pastor. And so it's another weird thing is that like, he had to ask the pastor for permission to date me rather than my dad. And like they, the man would go up in front of the whole church and like get down on his knee and there were levels of permission. So again, like my life had bled into the program so much that it, I didn't even have like any rights or anything as like a staff kid. It was all playing field was all level. So you had to go through this process of first was talking permission where you would get permission to talk to this person that you maybe liked. And then if that went well, you moved up to the next level of dating permission. And then you could get engaged like from there. So even though we had been touring for like three, four years together, best friends, he would come over to my house all the time because he was just, he was my friend. And like, we would have program kids all the time over and do like meals and parties and stuff at our house. So he was always there, always there. We're always hanging out. and. And then he went and asked for talking permission in church on his knee, <laughs> permission to talk to me, even though we'd been talking all these years, like it was so stupid, but then it happened and he got taken out of my group and it, mm. and so began like the worst three years, but the best because we were together and I don't know if it's all just me being like naive and whatever. Uh, cause I'd never had a boyfriend before and I had, I didn't have like any experience of anything, but like from the moment we were had talking permission for both of us, it, we might as well have been married. Like there was, <laughs> there was nobody else. I never even entertained the idea of breaking up. Like it was just like latch on and not in an, in an unhealthy way either. Like I needed somebody. And so we, ugh, it was so hard and horrible and we were happy to be a couple, but then we could never talk to each other. And when, when you had talking permission, you got 30 minutes a day in the lunchroom in front of everybody else to talk. And then any other time, like you couldn't even stop and talk in the hallways. Like, otherwise people would be writing you up or what are you, you're talking too much. So I went from being with him all the time to him and this is happening while I'm hauling wood. So like connecting it back to what we were just talking about. I had a boyfriend in those years and he got taken away from me so many times. Um, 
with the talking permission. Then we got dating permission where like, then he could come over for like three hours a week maybe, but we still weren't touring together and we, we didn't see each other and we couldn't talk normally. Like we, again, like you just couldn't be standing around talking to your person because you should be doing something else. Like, and then it was always framed, like your heart's not in the right place. Oh, yeah. you love Mike more than Jesus now? Well, watch out because God is a jealous God. And then here come all the Bible verses, you know, oh to gosh. support wow. your heart needs to be focused on God, not him. And so the target on me, um, aside from the wood hauling, it happened twice. I think uh, Mike was a, he ended up being a dean in the boys dorm, which was a pretty significant job. Um, yeah. oh, again, no training, no counseling, no nothing, uh, just his good heart and his, you know, good people skills and his heart for the Lord. Cause he, he ended up staying and working obviously after his year. And so he was late mailing out home letters one time and the punishment for that, despite the fact that he was a 20, 21, 22 year old man who was on staff, <laughs> um, he, we had lost our dating permission. The first time it was for six months. And this was all the pastor just saying six months, you, you cannot talk. You can't look at each other. Don't even make eye contact in church, nothing. And this wow. is six months of this. And of course me, I thought I did this. Like this You're is fine. because I loved him too much. And that piece oh. of the blog, like it couldn't be a sin to love him but it was like, it don't love him too much. Don't, you know, now you're not reading your Bible as much because you're thinking about Mike. And so I honestly would tell people in those days that it was good for me to lose that permission. Cause I, I really needed to put my focus back where it belonged. Ah, and so wow. that happened. I think that he managed to get it back before six months. Like he managed to, so, cause you never knew one day you could be on this guy's the pastor's good side the next day you could be on his crap list like there was no telling so I think he just one day he you know he was in a good mood and so he decided to like ask for dating permission back and he got it and so we moved forward from there um then the rules were kind of weird about like what was allowed with dating for staff kids um because in, again in the program there was a six inch rule like you couldn't break the six inch rule so can't sit too close to each other you definitely cannot hold hands you can't none of that and you're always chaperoned but then when it came to me like he would come to my house and so my parents were there like there were always people with us but I knew that my sister had like kissed her boyfriends and stuff so it's like this weird unspoken thing and then wouldn't you know it when it was time for me to date there was all of a sudden these hard fast rules for staff kids that you can't break the six inch rule either, even if you're a staff kid. And at this point we had already been holding hands and hugging each other. How dare we? Um, <laughs> and so by some weird turn of events, we had been together about a year as an official couple when we decided, you know, we were going to back off and like not hold hands and not hug or like get close to each other in that way. And it was out of that decision that somebody heard about something happened through the grapevine and our pastor, despite the fact that he had given permission for lots of other people to do really whatever they wanted physically with each other, like learned that we had something had been going on and, and took away our permission to be together indefinitely. 
And I was at a ballet summer camp when that happened. I heard about it. My mom called me and just like, you can't talk to Mike anymore. Like indefinitely, like it's over. It's totally over. And that again, I just thought it was my fault. I thought we had crossed too many lines. We, we were idolizing each other, all this stuff. And that was also when, like when the journal thing happened and my mom felt like that was mm -hmm. all happening at once. Okay. And, and I also wrote in the blog at one day, probably two months into that indefinite, you're not togetherness. I saw my pastor coming down the hallway in a building and he like came up to me and gave me this big, huge hug, like, Mare, you know, cause he could make you feel like nobody else. Like, you know, I'm painting him in this awful light, but the other side of it is that like, if he put his attention on you and, and, and did something with you or took you out and bought you lunch or like, you just felt like the most important person in the world and all of that reassurance. And so I just, saw him in the hallway and he gave me this huge hug and and I just knew like instinctively like he's happy with me right now and so I just went can I have dating permission back with Mike like I just used that <laughs> moment and he looked at me and I could tell that he didn't even remember he had ever taken it away like mm -hmm. he looked at me like awful what and I'm just <sighs> my life has been ruined and you don't even remember like and he was just kind of like sure I, I think so and I was just like thank you and like ran away and went over to Mike and told him like I did it I don't know how it happened but like we're back together and and from that point on it didn't happen again but it was always lingering like it was yeah. always just, this can be taken away from you this more insecurity more instability yeah and, and on a relation like thank god we built our relationship before that happened yeah. because i watched so many people that really did love each other there they didn't even have a chance like in that system but we had built this safe foundation mm -hmm. just touring innocently together and that's why those years of us dating were so hard i think like our hardest years for sure are behind us like yeah. i don't know how we made it through that but he proposed when I was 19, uh, in August when I was 19. And then we wanted to get married like ASAP, obviously, because they can't take away marriage permission. <laughs> um, but my pastor said he would never marry a teenager. And so I had to wait till I turned 20 and we barely made it. And we got married on May 5th, 2007. Mm. And it was the best day ever. Our wedding, I saw that pastor ruin so many people's wedding days. My sisters, he ruined my sister's wedding day. I mean, obviously he married everybody, but he, you know, that's a whole nother long story, but he absolutely ruined her weekend of her wedding and the wedding day just through, you know, passive aggressiveness, just yeah. ruined it, ruined it all. He didn't do that on our wedding day. And I don't know why, I don't know how, but it was the best day yeah. ever. And it just felt like I finally have not only like something that can't be taken away, but like I have my person, like mm -hmm. I found my person that is every bit opposite and perfect for me <laughs> that could ever have been just so, so good. And oh, so we made it to the wedding day. And, um, and from that point on, we were like, we were staff and I was put in 
the girls learning center as the head teacher, even though I didn't go to college, um, <laughs> I was assigned, um, not even oh, like wow. lower level position. Like I was 19 actually technically when I was given the position of like head supervisor. So I was in charge of 60 to 75 girls educations and they're all between the ages of 13 and 20. And it was on me to just, you know, roll out that system and wow, everything aside, the academics of that place were so bad. Like again, all fake, like most of the people that left our diplomas aren't, aren't credited. They're not accepted. So it's just like, wow. Oh my gosh. So I was teaching, he was a dean. We lived in an apartment in the boys' dormitory was our first apartment. So it was, it was like technically separated, but it was in the boys' dorm. So like yeah. I would leave and like maybe their hall would be open and there's just like all these program guys like ironing shirts and stuff. And I'm just like, but I was still myself and I loved it. I loved that little apartment. I thought it was the best thing ever that we were finally untouchable and it was great. And I, yeah, it was, it was good. And then at that point he was put back into my singing group once we were married, maybe when we were engaged. Cause I feel like we toured and shared that like, Ooh, now we're getting married. Okay. So send your kids to this place. Um, it was all twisted. And, and that's like, again, the dichotomy of like this man tortured me <laughs> emotionally and mentally, but also you know, when it became clear that nobody could stop Mike and I from being a couple, he used that to his advantage too. And yeah, so now yeah. we're going out and doing productions and Christmas programs. And it's us two that are the, you know, now we're this, this story in the space and we're sharing our testimony and now we're married. So it was almost like, oh, you wanted to rip us to shreds then, but now you want to use us to exploit our story that you tried to stop from happening. And like, so then we were touring as a married couple and yeah, yeah that was, that was the thing we were sharing that whole story and working there. Um, and then I got pregnant at 22, which was hard. I mean, I was a kid having kids, but aside from all of that, it was really after that, I think that I started at least, I mean, must be really thought about it just kind of now, but it must be that like primal, motherly instinct that was stronger than my brainwashing like it took those years that like I I had Leah my first and immediately even when I was pregnant again it just seemed like all the rules got changed when they started to apply to me because up to that point like women could choose to stay home like they could Mm -hmm. choose to stay home and be stay-at-home moms and not like work full-time in the ministry But lo and behold, I became pregnant and I went into a staff meeting one Monday morning and rules were changed. You don't get to do that. Like you, that's something wrong in your heart. Your heart's in the wrong place. And I just remember like sinking, like a sinking feeling of like, I'm going to have to still be down in that school after I have her. And the nursery was just two floors up from the school. So it was super convenient that I would leave my baby in the care of the daycare workers who were just program kids and had no qualifications to be doing that, you know? And I, again, like had no choice. And, and I think that's what started the disillusionment for me of like, this cannot be right. And at that point, Mike 
got fired once, um, which was the own repeat of what had happened when I was a kid yeah. happened in front of my face to my own family of him. Some, some stupid thing again as a dean that he had missed or he had money from a kid that like he had taken out to go out to do something and he was in charge of that money and he hadn't put it back in the kid's account yet. And it was like literally sitting on our coffee table. Like we didn't take the money. Um, he just hadn't done it. And his superior went to his superior who went to the pastor and nobody talked to us. And I got it. I came home from teaching one day and, and Mike was like, I, I got to go for a meeting. Like I, I got fired and I was just like, what, what? And like, nobody wanted to hear his side of the story. He obviously begged to stay like the same thing happened again. And again, I, for once, I just started to a little tiny bit, just be like, I don't want to be here. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this. And, and I, it took me being 24 years old to have the first thought of like, maybe we could make it like not here, like maybe, maybe I, we could do that. As you're talking, um, I just, over and over, I just hear this assertion of power. Mm -hmm. Like everything he did was to assert power, to remind everybody who's in charge, um, yeah. which created this unstable environment for everybody, mm -hmm. which gave him more power. Right. If you have nothing to hold on to except for him, then he's got all the power. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this as we're um, preparing, talking before the podcast. Just, I didn't hear all of your story, but as I hear your story even more, it just like more sits with me of the idea that he wanted control, but that you were intimidating to him. Mm. There was something about you that scared him. And so as he felt that control slipping out of his hands with you some, somehow, mm. like, I have to reassert that control and put Mary back in her place. Because if yeah. anybody's going to get the best of me, it's going to be her. And so I have to keep her imbalanced, unstable, guessing. And again, it just speaks so much to to who you are of in the midst of that instability and that hardness god created something in you that was more powerful that could bring something good into something so bad and it scared him like there's something bright in you strong in you powerful in you fierce fierce yeah i would so have never thought that <laughs> right because you felt so unstable and out of control but there's something innate in you that just fights for what is right, concrete, right, wrong. Mm. And he saw that. He saw beyond your insecurities and said, I, she's dangerous. Mm. And yeah, he almost smothered it out completely. Like, yeah. Yeah, he tried. And for I, our listeners, too, a lot of them know about the Enneagram. Would you share what your Enneagram type is? <laughs> That's funny because when I told you that I thought I was an eight originally, like when yeah. we got in touch last week, I don't know the Enneagram like that much really at all. Yeah. What I thought I actually was, was not an eight. I thought I was a nine. I thought I was, an, for some reason no. I got the numbers mixed 
up and I've been going along. I learned about the Enneagram a couple years ago and I'm like, oh, I'm for sure a nine. I just want to keep the peace. I just want da, da, da. And then when you got, when we talked last week and you kept going, you're an eight, you're an eight. I was like, yeah, I know. And then I up after we talked and I'm like, I'm not an eight. Cause like the eight is the leader, like the strong. And I thought, that's not me. That's Mike because he is a strong leader. And then I thought, no, 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 it's all backwards. Mike is the nine. He's the steady, quiet yes. person that usually ends up in leadership positions because right. he's that's useful. That. Right. Exactly. But I would push back against being an eight because I, I didn't realize there was a healthy version of that. Like, and that also would connect a lot of dots for me just personally in my dark bad moments that still mm -hmm. happen mm -hmm. like not only do I feel crazy in those times I become convinced that I am my pastor like I become I'll see my tendencies or whatever yeah. that would align with a leader like that yeah and I just think I'm doing that to everybody like mm -hmm. I'm manipulating everybody in my life um wow. and so it gets turned into like a curse almost mm -hmm. but yeah. you guys have been pretty instrumental already in just being like no that is who you are but there's this other piece of like purity in me mm -hmm. that I I won't be that person like I mm -hmm. I can feel protected against being my pastor yeah right but how but, interesting with the Enneagram. And it's so funny that I was like, yeah, yeah, eight. And then I have to, as I looked it up, I'm like, ew, I'm not an eight. Like, that is so funny. That's literally like people are drawn to numbers they're not because of what they've had to present themselves as often. Yes. But and when when you see the number that you are, it's usually like a guttural, like, it's oh jeez, especially when you were brought up in an environment where women are not supposed to be strong and powerful. Women are not supposed to have an opinion. I don't quite care about injustice and fight for injustice and oh. advocate for people. Women are supposed to so, stay home, but don't stay home. I yeah, yeah, that makes <laughs> sense, right? <laughs> I'm excited for you as you um, continue to walk down that path because a lot of women who have been oppressed as eights never are, are okay internally in that oppressive environment. So they fight it internally until, uh, and then they can become more fully themselves out of that environment. Mm. But it's um, it's so counter who you are in your essence, like who God's like designed you to be yeah. that that's, I think where the Luke brought in, like the intimidation factor is there's yeah. a fire in, in a, I mean, everyone has our own, like, yeah. like you said, your superpower of like, he's not going to get through and see, see me. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to protect myself. I mean, you almost were your own advocate, even mm -hmm. though you didn't have much power, somehow you still yeah abuse just messes with everything good and beautiful and you're yeah. like re-blossoming and the beauty's coming back right again to you guys uh, whoever's listening to this at this point I I've only met Luke and Lauren five days ago but <laughs> Luke like you nailed it and and you managed to hang on to that thought that you're like I can't <laughs> let it go <laughs> but I had never thought of that before until that moment last week when you said 
oh no, that was there all along. And he was threatened by it. And even as I tell the story now, and I keep saying, ironically, when it was me at this, all the rules changed. Like, Mm -hmm. why me? Why? And my poor friends who were the same age as me, like, it always coincided with that. And that's insane. And I never felt strong. And people have told me a lot over the last couple of years that there, Mm -hmm. there's a, there's an authority that you have. I enjoy having that. And I think I've always liked to use, you know, when you go through something awful and you make it out the other side, you have authority to speak to that. Absolutely. I was always doing that there. I was always going through, you know, these struggles and maybe it was misguided and maybe I was out there telling other girls that they shouldn't idolize their boyfriends (laughs) because I did it and look what happened to me. I lost, you know. But what I was doing was using my authority over yep. the things that I, and, and now I'm just not as, I don't know what you guys told me last week. It, it did feel like the final knockdown mm. of a certain piece of me. That's just always second guessing myself, mm. always feeling stupid, always feeling wrong. Like wow. it's going away, which is great because yeah um wholeness holiness yeah to whole the whole person that you really are yes Um, and it's great that I met a man who was always very sure of who he was you know like oh the perfect balance for me with Mike to to be that person and he has I think he God has used Mike more than anybody else in my life in ways that he'll never know and never understand but it's almost like I didn't have any concept of grace at all and I think people that grow up in the church in that system don't understand it because you don't want to go off the path like you want to stay on the straight and narrow and it's usually the people that have been at the bottom of the bottom and have crossed lines you're not supposed to cross that mm-hmm. understand grace. Wow. And that's Mike. Like he has been in some pretty awful places and done some crazy things that I would never do. And yet it's him who loves almost better and easier than me. And I, I just thought that fear was love. I thought mm-hmm. controlling people out of fear was caring about them. And again, that's not super culty. That's a common belief that when you really love somebody, you're going to tell them hard truth and you're going to, you're going to tell them what their sin is. Like just that whole system of thinking you're making people think that fear is love. And so the more fear, the better. And I just, I believed all that time that like fear was my best friend because it was keeping me out of trouble. It was going to help me see everybody else's sin because the biblical teaching that was there was just that, you you know, you're responsible for your own sin, but you're also responsible for everybody else's around you. No pressure. No pressure, except that I was going to watch my friends get dragged in front of me at the judgment seat. Like, this is also a common thing that was preached was that, you know, you're going to be there and you're going to be the saved one. And you're going to watch all your loved ones get dragged out in front of you, cast into hell. And as they're falling, they're going to scream, why didn't you tell me like that? I was told that story so many times. So of course, and, and even in the way that it developed when we were outside of that ministry, um, 
with Mike and I and how he's just so confident in himself that that and the things that you guys talk about with like the attachments and it was hard for a little while because like in a practical um example like Mike had he was sober for 11 years I think just fully sober one of those people that was just like nope this is the decision I'm making it but then he grew up and you know matured a lot and by the time we were about six months away from leaving there he started to drink every once in a while have a beer and literally felt free of that addiction which is amazing and so cool to see happen but I didn't see it like that of course I you know, drinking was not even a thing. Like it wasn't even it wasn't an option. It was not an option. And so to see him, what I now see as a significant level of healing in his life terrified me. Yeah. I just was, oh no, oh my gosh. And and um that was towards the end. I don't know if you want to get into the Exodus. Yes. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure people I'm like, people are gonna wanna know how did the Exodus happen? Please yes. Well, it's a pattern. The same pattern happened that did when I was nine or 10 of um, all of a sudden his wife, the pastor's wife was nowhere to be found and not nobody really knew what happened to her. Nobody knew where she went. She just left. And, and of course he started to spin the narrative. We had a lot of staff meetings, holy inappropriateness, Batman, like the, so inappropriate that he would like bring in he had a private investigator on his wife he told us all that she was a lesbian and satan a satanist and that poor him poor him poor him you know this whole sob story that made us go like oh my gosh you poor guy and he's like no no you know it's okay this is what happened to people that serve god and you know it's just the enemy and i just got to get rid of that woman thank god he moved her out you know it's all manipulated and so we were all kind of like that's a little weird and then lo and behold at this point he this pastor is probably 65 um he's got a girlfriend that's like 35 and she's she wants to come work there and she had like little kids and stuff like it was just so ridiculous yes that it like woke everybody up almost wow. and the audacity that he had to think that he could do something that extreme and we would all be dumb enough to just be like okay yep, um yep. so this woman kind of and he just kind of was like and this is her and she's my girlfriend and we're just moving forward from here and this time you guys are shaking your heads like that's what <laughs> we all we all were just like mm-hmm. I don't know about that. And then people started resigning and it, and at this point I was 24, I had Leah and I was pregnant with my second. So I was pregnant and all of this stuff started happening. And, you know, of course my dad was just kind of like freaking out because he was like the right hand man. And here he was again, put in this position to be like, you can't do this. So the board actually got together to vote him out of the ministry, the pastor, and just say like, nope, we're not gonna let you do it. And then it was like 
surprise, there's nothing legal about any of this. and You all have no standing at all of what would probably be like what normal churches have as a system of accountability. None of it was real. And he just basically said, if you all don't like it, you can leave. And so we all did. And I don't think he thought, I don't think he thought that Mm -hmm. that was going to happen. I think he thought it would be like the last time and he would lose a few, Mm -hmm. but it took people like my dad, like significant people within the ministry to say, then we're going to leave. And it just was like a domino effect of, it was wild. Those days were crazy because we were all just kind of looking around. Are you leaving? Are you going to leave? What's going on? But then you also had all these program kids who were there to be helped. And so it was just such a hard yeah. balance between like, what happens to them if we all leave? Like yeah. what, what, what? And, and that's where like, nobody thought of that last option of like, God can still help them. Mm. This is not the only place where people serve God this is not the only place that's helping people and so we officially my parents resigned um, my sister resigned and then Mike and I resigned the the day uh, that I had Noah our son oh wow so I now had two kids and we took him home from the hospital and I knew this was not our home anymore what are we gonna do? Oh my gosh. Um, but already by then, like, I do think it was the maternal instinct that like jogged my brain into thinking for itself, even a little bit, because I remember Mike coming to me like hesitantly of like, we might leave. Like, and of course he probably did. I could have reacted a million ways, but already by then I was enough, like, let's do it. Enough, enough time had passed where I started to think, I would really like to not be here. Like I would really yeah. like to be a normal person yes. that is in control of the music they listen to. I could have a style. Like I could, I could wear things that I want to, like, I can't describe enough how much I didn't have any control over anything in my life. Like I couldn't wear clothes that I liked. I couldn't wear a headband with a print on it that maybe was like a hippie. Like I <laughs> And I'm a total hippie. Like I'm such, I'm such a hippie at heart. And I couldn't do that. Like that was just like satanic, you know, that's new age. Like, so I started to think, oh my goodness, like we can get out of here. We could get like an apartment. And I probably was so immature in a lot of ways of just being like, I didn't know what the world was like. So I'm just yeah. like, we can go. And of course we can get, and Mike's like, we have no money. Like, <laughs> we can't just go get a nice apartment in a city. Like, no, we can't do that. Like, this is going to be crazy and complicated. And so he resigned. Also, I never saw my pastor in most of any, I think God, again, kind of just moved me to a spot where my heart was not going to be messed with anymore. Because when I get pregnant, I just like, don't like to see people. (laughs) And so I was always pregnant in the summers. All three of my kids are born in August. Like, I don't know why it happened like that, but (laughs) I was always pregnant. And like, cause I was a teacher, I was off in the summer. So I hadn't really been around anybody for like three months at the end Mm -hmm. of all this. So I wasn't there. I didn't get to say goodbye to the pastor. Like Mike resigned. And I guess his last words were like, I thought you were smarter than this. He said to Mike, oh, after he, he was offering all to all these people to give them like the keys to the kingdom. Like every time a staff man would resign, he'd be like, oh, well, I, 
I was really gonna like turn all this over to you someday. Like he said that to so many people, just a last flail of like, wait, I can give you power too. Um, And so- More control. Yeah, Mike was just like, "Mm, sorry, we're leaving. And it really was the mass exodus that helped that because I don't know how people left before that without a bunch of other people leaving. Yeah, We kind of all had each other. We left and honestly, I have, I felt so much peace, (laughs) which makes no sense during Mm -hmm. those months that we were left and we didn't know what we were going to do. And we didn't, we couldn't live there anymore because that house was a ministry house. So Mm -hmm. like I had a two-year-old, a brand new baby, and I was essentially homeless. Yeah, I had no tools of how to live or how to apply for a job or how to do anything. And yet I was so at peace in those days. Mike was like, you know, pacing like a caged lion because (laughs) he's the man. So like, I think that, and we've always had that kind of relationship with Mike and I, that when one of us is low, seems to be at their strongest and vice versa. And I just felt so much peace. And I mean, it all just happened from there. He found a job still close. I still live five miles away from this place now. So I never actually got away from it physically, but we left and he got a solid job and just started working his butt off. And and Mike has a lot of carpentry woodworking like skills. Mm -hmm. So he just fell into that profession, which there's a lot of room in there. Like Mm -hmm. if you're talented and Ooh, so we got a, a rental house for an extremely affordable price and and we were out officially and then I got pregnant again (laughs) it seems like it's like starting a new life almost did it feel like that it it did and I didn't even have time to like really work through very much because Mm -hmm. I had a new baby and then I got pregnant again when my baby was three months old so So we left and moved into this rental house with a two-year-old, an infant, and then, and then I got pregnant and, oh my gosh. At least you weren't transitioning like major life transitions or anything. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Like as you're, as you're describing your leaving, it like reminds us, reminds me of us moving to Thailand. Truly, like Like, that level of like shifting I don't know how to apply for, I don't know how to buy a car. I don't know how to apply for where to find a house. Like I don't Uh, know how to, just all these, I don't know how to do this. And yet I'm expected to know how. Yeah. And And that's a testament to Mike too. I mean, he had been a person before this ministry. So at least, I mean, he was a kid. He was, yeah. But he has a work ethic that is amazing and he just kind of was like I'm making it happen like and again I I was given the perfect mate because <laughs> I had no idea what to do and he didn't really either but he was just like he has always just taken care of me he I've never ever worried that we're not gonna be okay that we're not gonna I mean also growing up there like I didn't really value money very much and like I just trusted God literally my whole life for us to have money or have anything. And so that wasn't so much of an issue. Like, I think I just naturally kind of trust God will will take care of us, which is sort of trauma informed, but also Mm -hmm. muscles that I Mm -hmm. can lean into. And I I just, Mm -hmm. I just knew we were going to be okay. And it was super hard 
but we we did and, and mentally i wasn't great like yeah. you know then i had three kids and the body issues came back obviously because i just had three kids in like three years yeah and you know i would have thought that being gone meant that it was over mm -hmm. in my head but it you know those demons followed me and my pastor's voice followed me and 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 it was hard to see mike step into like I said, like that healthy place of, you know, we left there and a lot of my friends that we all left together, you know, in a natural way, we're like, we can get tattoos if we want, we can drink if we want, like we're yeah. free, but I wasn't free. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, like this stuff is all really bad. And now I'm watching everybody do it. Like, mm -hmm. and so I had the hardest time with things like alcohol also I was pregnant and breastfeeding forever so like right. I, I didn't even try it until I was like 25 26 my first drink ever and so that was a struggle to just see people be free it was scary super scary and but I wanted to be free and like yeah. so then I would like try to do things and I did get a tattoo and like but it was only the beginning of being yeah. like Oh, it's almost easier to, to be a legalist and just yeah. your set of rules. It's harder when it's an open pasture of grace. Cause then you're just like, especially when you can't trust your, your, your feelings, your convictions, no. your faith, your heart, right. Your heart, anything. Yeah. So I had a lot of walking through that. Um, so for the people who resonate with parts of your story, I'm sure there's many listening even that could be decades away from spiritual abuse and still be in it. Cause like mm -hmm. you said, you left the place, but all of that goes with you regardless yeah. of where you live. What would you say are like the top two to three things? And we didn't like pref give you this question in advance. So if it's, if there's not specifics, it's fine. But can you think of some specifics of when you're healing from such an assault on your spirit? Mm -hmm what has helped you the most in this mm. process? That's a good question. Who, um, I would first probably credit my parents to the genuine pureness of my heart has helped, um, my love for Christ. Uh, and I, and I say that knowing that that's almost inflammatory to people who come out of religious abuse. So yeah. I understand that just saying, oh, it's Christ isn't helpful necessarily. Um, but I think that I had a, like a pure seed in there. Like you said, something that just kept me driving forward of like, I gotta keep moving forward uh, and like try to find some type of healing from this, but I didn't even have the language or anything for that. And I honestly, and here comes the like heretical advice. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it girl. So we left and I, and we joined a church, like pretty much immediately, uh, a local church. Um, and I started singing, started singing in there. So, you know, what I knew how to do, just yes. like, use me, I want to be useful. And, you know, that's my, my identity, my value to God hinges on how much I'm doing for him. So we went to this one church and then 
Mike and I kind of both one day were just like, we hate going to this church. <laughs> like we dread Sundays. We like, it shouldn't feel like that. And so then I just needed to step away. Like I, I needed to get away from it. I needed to get away from the culture of church and I needed to get away from all of, all of the stuff that probably was true and good and helpful. It was all just like inflammatory for yes. me. And so we found a church that had a lot going on for kids ministries and just thought, well, we've got kids. Let's at least like plant ourselves here because even then we both still weren't like free enough to even give ourselves the option that maybe we wouldn't go to church. Like it was just like, well, we got to find some type of church, but I needed to just go and like hide and not have anybody look at me and not have anybody talk to me. And so I pretty much, we put the kit, we did it for the kids. Um, but we went there and for about seven years, I just went and got fed and did not serve. And at the same time, I just, I kind of stepped away from everything. And I think it really helped me to get on the outside of my faith. Uh, Ted Decker, have either of you guys heard of Ted Decker? No. Uh, He'll probably never listen to this, but if he does, Ted, <laughs> I, I would say him. Uh, that was an amazing thing that that helped me. And he's an author. He's kind of like the Christian Stephen King. <laughs> so oh. he, he writes horror and spiritual books or, okay. or like a Frank Peretti. I don't know if you've ever heard of Frank yep. Peretti. He's kind of like that. And so a lot of Christians don't like his stuff because he paints evil really evil like it's dark and disgusting sometimes but he always you know he always does the battle of good and evil he just mm -hmm. personifies evil pretty gross and like I don't know I've never really had a problem with dark horror things I don't yeah. mind it so I I've read his books a lot and um it was one book of his called The Forgotten Way that I read a couple of years ago when I kind of came to another breaking point of like we were going to church and like things were pretty good but I still had never like I just left that place and wanted to pretend like it never happened like and that's what everybody who left that place and there are thousands yes. this is a significantly large ministry and so there are thousands of people that have left it and they feel crazy and they just never want to think about it ever again and so like that's kind of where I was coming just like I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to like go forward and raise my family and all this stuff. But then as my kids got older, like there was a lot of brokenness in me. Yeah. And like we talked about with my personality, like I truly did start to see similar patterns mm -hmm. that I was manipulating them mm -hmm. and I was doing the same thing that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And that again, it's the motherly something. I, I just hit a wall one day when I, I, you know, I had a lot of problems. I had a lot of mental, emotional problems mm -hmm. and I couldn't deal. And, and I just had a lot of kids before I was really mature enough to have them. Mm -hmm. And so I still have a little bit of shame and trouble just like looking back at like what train wreck those first years of parenting were. I, it was awful. And we're right there with you. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, yeah. And I, I just hit yeah. a point where I was just like, I can't be with my family anymore. Cause I'm just hurting everybody all the time. I'm hurting everybody. And like, I don't know what to do. And so I, it was that book, the forgotten way um, by Ted Decker that kind of like, kind of shook everything upside down for me and was just like, you don't have to think that way. Like there, there's a whole way of Jesus that nothing that I, like all of my religion and all my stuff, I started to see it wasn't adding up with the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, and so that started my deconstruction. My, yeah. My deconstruction, which started with me not listening to any pastors anymore not reading any devotional books and I'm like the queen of devotional books like I've got all the devotional books and all the like women's study journals and like all of these things that I was just like I need to learn about who God is from him and so I just decided that I would read the gospels and nothing else and and get to know this person Jesus that I claimed that I was following all this time who seemed very different from my pastor, <laughs> like, whoa, yeah. this isn't the same person. And, and I claim to follow Jesus, not him. Yeah. Um, and so I learned about Jesus for like eight months. And that is the same time that I was writing the blog. And so I started this project of learning about Christ. And I all of a sudden just felt like I couldn't not write about my life. And so it was this super therapeutic experience and I see now on the other side that God knew exactly what he was doing because yeah. I wasn't even in the headspace where therapy would have helped me because mm -hmm. that would have just been one more person telling me what to do and I just was like I can't listen to people anymore I don't trust anybody I don't trust yes. anybody at all a therapist wouldn't have helped a pastor certainly wouldn't have helped yeah. and so I had to step away from the church I had to step away from my whole bible except for the story of Jesus because I got to the point where I was so unhealthy that I couldn't even read Psalms without feeling condemned. Like it, wow. I couldn't even go near the Bible, but then like your religious trauma tells you, you have to read the Bible. So you just keep reading it, even though it's like, uh, so I learned about Christ. And then like I was telling you guys before we recorded this, he led me straight to his father just like he did with the disciples in, in the gospels, like it happened exactly like that. And it all timed out with the end of the blog too. Like I finished my study of the gospels at the exact same time I finished writing my story in chapters and it just like all signs pointed to, you don't even know God, like yeah. not in a condemning way, but like he's better than you think he is. Yeah. He's not King majesty he's father like he is father he's, he's daddy he's papa yeah yes and so through that ted decker book I, I i just remember saying god teach you know i deconstructed enough that i kind of stood on the edge of i came to my senses enough i think of just like if this isn't real then i'm not I'm not gonna be a Christian. Like if all this is just a made up religion for weak people from the beginning of time, yeah. I'm ready to step away from it because it has done so much damage to me. And so yeah. I came to that point and I just felt like I couldn't throw it all away. Like it, it felt like unplugging a light from a switch. Like it just mm -hmm. felt like if I crossed over into unbelief, 
I don't know how to live like that. And I just felt like I would be disconnected from my source. Like there was too much, too much that was real in there. You know, it's hard to look back and sift through yeah, good and bad, but there was enough real in there. So I kind of just went from there and said, the only belief I have about God is that he's real. And I'm leaving it at that for now. And that opened up a lot of possibilities. And then, you know, then I got connected with the real world out here where it's not that black and white and you can, you know, even saying it now, even saying you can pick and choose what you want. I still have that fundamentalist voice going, no, you can't cherry pick the Bible. That's And so it was quite a battle for me to deconstruct because every step of the way was met with so much force of just like all that fundamentalist teaching, all of so many scripture verses again. So yeah, I mean, that was a very long answer, but Ted Decker and getting away from the church (laughs) (laughs) helped at least brought me to a point where I could even think for myself, which again, could be said a bad thing, think for yourself. And it's such a good answer Hmm. because it gets you back to the the fundamentals. Don't say that word. (laughs) The foundation of like who, who Jesus is. Not yeah. who does he say Jesus is, who do they say Jesus is, who do they say the Bible says Jesus is. It's like, yeah. okay, who does the Bible say Jesus is? Let me look at his life. Yeah. Because as we look around, there's a lot of Christians that say that they follow Jesus yeah. and use his life as a example of the way they live. But when you look at their life, it's not an example of Jesus. Like Jesus loved people. That is what it comes down to is he loved people. Yeah. And he, like you kept on saying that the pastor guy, he used a lot of fear and, and there's always fear. Like mm. Jesus never used fear. Never. Like you look through the gospels and there's not once is that fear. No. Not once is there shame, condemnation. There's accountability. There's mm. challenge. There's encouragement, but it's always the person. Yeah. The person is the most important in all the stories. Yeah. Uh, the heart of the person, the story of the person. He wanted to know the person. He wanted to, he wanted that person to leave the experience loved. Yeah. And when you have had so many experiences that you left not feeling loved, what do you do with that? Mm. You have to let those go and say, okay, God, can you teach me who you are? Yeah. And if we believe that God is who he says he is, he's going to teach us. He's going to meet us there. And your story, I mean, I can resonate so much with my, there's parts of it with my story, but also with the deconstruction. Like I felt like I had to read my Bible every day. I had to pray every day. I had to memorize verses. And if I didn't, I was a bad Christian. And God was up there, his arms crossed, disappointed in me. Yep. Um, I read a book, wasn't a horror (laughs) <laughs> but she's an eight i wanted to tell you the, the, the way that you can handle heavy stuff like that that is your enneagram type oh, that's a one sign you're not a nine yeah nine. Would oh, yeah, that, that probably would make sense yes <laughs> um i so i read a book in grad school it's called um he loves me um, um by wayne jacobson and it was basically him talking about 
there's a favor line that as fundamental Christians, we believe that if, if you read your Bible, he's happy. If he, if you don't, he's mad. It's based yeah. on the, the game of like the flower. He loves me. He loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. We play that game with God. I read my Bible. He loves me. Yeah. Oh, I watch too much TV. He doesn't love me. Oh, I shared the gospel. He loves me. Oh, yeah. I, I missed that gospel sharing. He doesn't love me. Yeah. And, and he's talked about this favor line. And that was the first time I was like, wait, there's no favor line? No favor line. <laughs> and that started my deconstruction. And of, of kind of like what you're saying, like, I, I don't have to read my Bible. What happens if I don't read my Bible? Yeah. Oh, wait, the, the, the world doesn't come crashing down. Right. I moved to Thailand as a new missionary. <laughs> and I was like, for me, every time I move, it's like my world shakes. I, I have to relearn how to re-engage with people, hmm. but also re-engage with God. When I went hmm. to Thailand, it was, okay, God, I want to connect with you. Can you teach me how to do this? And he's like, okay, wake up this time and read your Bible. I'm like, okay. And for a couple of weeks, he did that. And all of a sudden he said, okay, stop reading. Huh. I want to he hear your heart. Talk to me. Uh. And then after a few weeks, he's like, okay, stop talking. And just sit and look at the, at the nature. Yeah, nature. And I want to I talk to you about me. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, now read again. Okay, now read and listen to me. It was just like this journey of it doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. If you are desire is to connect with me and to pursue me and to be known to know me, I'm going to reveal myself. Yeah. But in the midst of that, there was like you said, the voice is like, I'm not reading my Bible. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my gosh, he's he's gonna be disappointed in me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Luke, listen, <laughs> am I disappointed with you? Well, your Bible says you're not. Okay, mm -hmm. let's start with that. Mm -hmm. And so just the way I just resonate and just want to affirm what you're saying is you're not saying throw every, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You're saying yeah. let's look at the, the basics. Yeah. When there's too many voices, too many chefs in the kitchen. Yeah, too much. It's too much. Yeah. And you, you need to pull it all back and say, okay, God show me you yeah let me know jesus yeah even throwing the baby out with the bath water is valid i mean even yeah. <laughs> even people like i think that we're just again out of our fear our christian fear we assume that people doing that is the end of the story and you're just like no no no, don't do that Ugh. like always wrong every move is a wrong move and it's like no, and I, I really think that the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, I think becoming thoroughly disillusioned with all of it is the biggest advantage anybody could ever have. Yeah. Um, and that sounds so progressive, but it's like, no, to become disillusioned with every last thing you were ever taught and to be absolutely poor in your spirit, yeah. you possess nothing anymore. And to some people that they might call themselves an atheist for now, or, you know, they might think forever, it's not the end of the story. And that's actually probably the hugest step they could ever take towards wholeness. Yeah.
which sounds yeah. all wrong and backwards, but it's valid. And there yeah. are no, there are no wrong. Well, there are some wrong ways to do this, but seeking is not one of them. And right. if that leaves you on, and again, it's not linear, it could look like anything. Yeah. And, and I just, sometimes I, I have some friends still um, that came through there. I mean, not surprisingly that now say that they're atheists and they've walked away completely. Sure. And I would affirm that for them yeah. because I was there and I needed to go through that. And, and for those people, because of where I'm coming from now, I fully believe that God knows them and that he has his own set of a way that right. is going to bring you to knowledge of him, which looks like wholeness and a healthy sound mind. Right. And, and, and that path is going to look different for everybody. But I, I think that my willingness to let go of all of it is what brought me to like being in my right mind today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our ability to love those people that have thrown it all away yeah. is when we are put in a position to be Christ to them and to reintroduce Christ to them. It's when we look at them and say, oh, they're atheists. They're the enemy now. Mm. That's going to reaffirm all of their beliefs of what and experiences of Christians. Yep. And so if we're not intimidated by somebody throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but actually giving them that freedom yeah. to explore and um, go on their journey that way, and then say, okay, God, it's your hands that yeah. seeks them. Yeah. And what is my role in loving them and being, yeah. re-helping them be introduced to Jesus? Not right. forcing them, not shaming them, not condemning them, but being a friend. Allowing them to have that choice. Yeah. Like Jesus was not intimidated by the rich young ruler saying, I can't do that. Yeah. Said, okay, that's your choice. Yeah. He wasn't intimidated by the woman of well having five white husbands. Right. It's like, okay, but guess what? I'm going to love you. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and she felt so loved that she forgot her story, went back to the city and said, meet this man. He's incredible. Yep. And, and we miss our opportunities to love people that way. I was just listening to somebody talk. He was talking about a very popular restaurant, fast food restaurant, that's Christian run. He said, I will not eat there because they don't love everybody. Like, he's like, I don't care what people stand for. He's mm -hmm. like, I don't even agree with them, but they deserve to be treat, treated as a human. This guy's not a Christian. He has this idea that Christians hate people really well. Yeah. So I won't support that. Mm. And so now he has this taste that Jesus hates people well. And I can't stand for that. If we could stand and say, Jesus loves people really well, how many more people would we be able to have these conversations about and actually share the gospel with? Yeah. Because there, everybody is on a journey looking to be loved. Yep. Like no matter what sin they're struggling with, what their story is, everybody's looking to be loved. Mm -hmm. We should be the best at it. Yeah. And they're still finding the gospel through that. It's like what exactly. I would do with somebody that says, 
what I know of Christ is that he's judgmental and locks a bunch of people out of heaven. I can't support bigotry like that to turn around and say, that is the most Christ-like thing you could have just said. Like He's against it too. <laughs> yeah. Right? Then you have all these people going, oh, I'll follow that God if he right. looks like Jesus and, yeah. and doesn't look like men and yeah. you know oh yeah. that 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 is christ in that and he is what everybody already loves exactly. everybody already loves christ innately exactly we already love that it's we've been it's in us i fully believe it i think that humanity was inherently different pre-christ than post-christ yeah and i believe that we now live as people with an innate love for him mm. and need to see the world the way he saw it and but when you have a whole bunch of Chris, christians yeah <laughs> saying no we follow moses essentially right then you you have yep. <laughs> yeah. but but yeah and he he can move and use anything now that's kind of a fun thing for me to see nowadays it's just Absolutely. whoa he's everywhere this is it really is good news and, and that's so freeing when you're not constrained that oh, if I make this choice, I'm out of God's will. If I make this choice, he's disappointed me. But saying, okay, I'm going to live for God the best of my ability, and he's going to use it. Yeah. Okay, I made this choice. Hey, good job, Luke. But guess what? Mm-hmm. Let's try this next time. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like It's like a toddler, like a two-year-old is not going to get it right all the time. But as a yes. dad, I'm not going to come in and say, what the heck is wrong with you? You're right. two years old. He's going to come, right. come around and say, hey, that's a great effort. Yeah. Let's try that this time or let's, let's tweak it. Let's, let's explore yeah. over here. Yeah. And when we see a father, Heavenly Father like that, it's like, that's somebody I can be in relationship with. That's somebody I can step out in faith with. That's, that's why my family can go to Thailand. Yeah. I, I can't do it wrong. Right. I'm, I'm trying my best and he's going to teach me along the way. And yeah. he's not going to leave me and say, good job. You screwed that up. Right. Like, good job. I love your heart. I love your yeah. passion. Yeah. And Jesus was really intentional about saying that very thing. Yes. Of saying, hey, you guys are fallen and yep. you treat your kids a certain way. How much more does your father in heaven love you and yep. want to be your advocate? And, yep. you know, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to condemn you. No, mm-hmm. it should <laughs> feel... And that was a game changer for me. The first time anybody ever said conviction should never feel like condemnation. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. I just yeah. thought like, wait, what? Yeah. I thought it was supposed to feel like I thought condemnation was super useful. Like, yeah. no, that's actually the other guy. <laughs> that's yeah. actually. Something I talk with uh, a lot of my clients about is deconstructing, identifying God's voice and Mm. The, the condemner's voice satan's voice yeah it's accuser. like the accuser mm-hmm. like god says uses my name son buddy like there's this compassion with when he's talked to me yeah and when it's the accuser it's always you yeah and it's yeah. like it's so impersonal and so shaming mm-hmm. and when you're able to reflect on your thoughts mm-hmm. you're able to decipher different messages Mm-hmm. And our whole podcast is about your story matters. Yeah. And what you've been sharing over these last couple episodes is the importance of 
processing your story. Yeah. Like you have shared depth of your story of pain. That doesn't take away your, your, your pain. It doesn't take away your experience, but it takes away the power of those experiences. Mm. You have been able to process that pain. We talk about a U diagram of Friday being the death of th this event, Saturday being grief, mm. and Sunday being redemption. Mm. You, there is so much death in your story, so much hurt and pain. And you've had to acknowledge that because grief doesn't happen without honesty, can't happen. Mm. And you've grieved it. You've looked at it and said, this is not right. Yeah. And as you've grieved it, God has used that as you've deconstructed, as you said, God, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to read my Bible. He's used all that and said, good, because I have so much more to show you and to grow out of you. Yeah. Out of that, we if we don't share our story, if we don't process our story, we have no empathy. We can't have empathy. Mm. And yeah, right. if we can't handle our story and our emotions in our story, we can't handle somebody else's emotions and somebody else's story. Yep. And so as you've been talking, it's been just such a perfect and beautiful picture of showing that you have seen death, you have grieved, God has redeemed. Mm -hmm. And this empathy for people and their stories and their pain has grown. And that's actually, it's going to make you more powerful, more effective, more healthy in loving people and showing Christ to people. Yeah. And it's just, just thank you so much. For sharing your story mm. your short story is so powerful so painful and yet mm. so beautiful mm. yeah. of, of seeing you struggle but the the strength of you the perseverance of that little child of you advocating and leaving and then going back and loving that child the way that child was saying please love me somebody notice me somebody speak for me you have spoken, you've given her voice, you've given her love, given her attunement, attention, which has helped heal you and be more of the wife you want to be, more of the mom you want to be, more of the woman you want to be, and more of the Christ follower you want to be. Mm. And Christ and God is standing there and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm. And that didn't just happen. That's been happening since day one. He's been watching you grow and saying, well done, Mary. Well done, Mary. Well done, Mary, and is continuing redeeming and blessing you and growing you. And it's just, it's been such a delight of hearing your story and such a treasure of you sharing your story. And I, I don't take it for granted. I, I mean, you've said this been sharing and it's so raw, mm. uh, the sh putting yourself out there, the depth of, of vulnerability that you've shared. And I just thank you for that, for the encouragement it has been to me and Lauren and the encouragement it will be to the people that listen to this as mm -hmm. they can resonate and have hope and perseverance and maybe meet Jesus mm -hmm. really for the first time in their journey as they realize that Jesus loves me yeah. and loves my story and is grieving here with me as I'm crying. As I say, God, how could you not, how could you have done that He's saying, I know, I know it hurts. Yeah. And your story just beautifully just portrays that as you've, as he's walked you to look at your story and seeing him grieve with you and giving you permission to wrestle, to question, 
to hurt, to be angry. Like you can't, Adam Young, a podcast we listen to, um, a place we find ourselves, he always says, you cannot grieve without anger at God. Mm, yeah. That yeah. As, it has to be part of it. Cause that's, that's honesty. Yep. You have to wrestle through that. Certain things need to die. Like it, it is a death and, and it, and it was, a, I had to put to death pretty much everything I believed. And it all seems to be pointing to, again, what this person, Jesus Christ came and talked about that, that light was stronger than darkness, that life does overcome death. Yeah. And I just feel like I've come back from the dead to tell you all something like that. Yeah. I've, I've come back from, from my own death of, yep. of everything that I was. And it turns out that life is stronger than death and that there is this power. And again, even in between all of the Christianese of the things that we're saying, cause I still yep. feel so sensitive for the people who are not in that place. Totally agree. But again, even if you're not, a professing Christian, you already know this stuff. We right. all already know that the power of the human spirit is strong and that right. we overcome things and and death does get recycled into life. Like it's this is all the same stuff. Yeah. Just being able to be in a in a position to receive it, I guess, and to walk through that that process of death into life. Yeah, it looks different for everybody. I would just ask Christians that are listening to this to have compassion on these people yes. <laughs> that are going through this because there's enough on the internet against yeah. progressive Christian. There's enough yeah. hate for that, yeah. and and they don't understand. And yeah. maybe they should try to understand is what I would say. And I think that there's enough people kind of waking up now that you know will challenge a lot of stuff they were taught. And that shouldn't be scary because like you said, there's no fields of grace. Like, and I think a lot of times it's the church kids and the people that were raised in that environment that just don't understand it. And, yeah. and now you have a bunch of people our age who refuse to look at it like that. And, yeah. and it's probably because they're scared and they grew up with all the same boundaries. And there's a reason you have the people that have done all the bad things that seem to understand God's love more because they've explored. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Giving space to people's process. And, and I'm always here. Um, if anybody wants to reach out, I'm always down for a conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again, Mary. I appreciate you sharing your vulnerability. It's been powerful. Yeah. Because thank you. So everybody listening, thank you for listening. And we will be back again next week. And we just ask you to just hold Mary's story well as you listen, as you listened, as you leave, continue to pursue Jesus. And we'll be back next week. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.